Hello, welcome to Glass Tire's Artists on Artists. My name is Christopher Blay. I am the news editor at Glass Tire and the host of Artists on Artists. Today we're speaking with Genia Juan. Genia is a social impact, community development, and creative innovator with a focus on human-centered design, equity, diversity, and inclusion. She's also the founder of Break Bread, Break Borders. And uh, she's also an acclaimed interdisciplinary artist who is shown in galleries in Dallas, Miami, and New York. Genia, welcome to Artists on Artists. Thank you. <laughs> it's an honor to be here. Yes. So um, tell me, what, what have you been doing during the pandemic? Well, um, <laughs> other than uh, trying to be a, a mom um, throughout all this and, um, you know, dealing with uh, virtual learning and then later on face-to-face, -face, um, plus, uh, you know, dealing with a, a day gig in education and then uh, trying to um, juggle uh, break bread, break borders, figuring out covered relief, trying to keep the refugee women that we work with, their ability to pay rent, utilities, food and medical bills, um, you know, making sure no one gets evicted and no one goes hungry. Um, yeah. yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, Other everything's than that. yeah. Trying to stay safe and healthy, yeah. Yeah, so I want to talk more about your practice, what I would describe as uh, active social practice, not unlike um, Piaster Gates comes to mind and the current uh, Nasher Prize winner, yeah, yeah, in fact, we did a collab actually uh, back in February, and we're about to do another uh, a talk together in December as well. Yeah, and that's with Break Bread, Break Borders as well. So tell me a little bit about Break Bread, and then um, maybe a little bit about what you're doing with Rakowitz. Okay. Yeah, so um, Break Bread, Break Borders is a social enterprise and um, we are developing a culinary training program to help refugee women from war-torn countries um, find food service job opportunities by sharing their storytelling of food and culture. And um, so we got started to honor my mother's legacy. My mom, uh, Margaret Huang, was a chef, uh, community leader, and uh, a restaurateur and so she used to hire immigrants and refugees to come and work in our kitchen and send them on to bigger and better opportunities and I am actually a descendant of um, refugees who escaped from China from communism to take refuge in Taiwan and um, I'm just very um, deeply connected with the community and have always wanted to do something about amplifying um, this voice. And my mom, you know, was doing this all our lives and um, really practicing philanthropy in front of our eyes, but I was too young and stupid to realize <laughs> it for a long time. And it took her passing from cancer to really light a fire um, under this initiative and to figure out how I can um, continue her lifelong work. BBBB started as actually a community dinner and we had just amazing people around town, places like Cafe Momentum, United Way, and all these different incredible institutions that jumped in to, to help us out. And we were really just going to be this art project that started as a pop-up. We were going to sit down 
with a group of our friends and basically um, eat food that were cooked by refugee women and have very um, tough and courageous conversations about race, about gender, about inclusive economy, economy, about things that we were experiencing at the time that we didn't know, you know, how to move forward with. And because the community asked, and as a social practice artist, you know, when our community asks for fire, I can't bring a water. And when we were done with the community dinner, the, the ladies, um, you know, from Iraq and from Syria basically told me, they said, Jinya, <laughs> you're so cute. Um, you know, community dinners are really beautiful, but that's not what we need. Um, and hearing this, I thought, you know, my, my parents were entrepreneurs, you know, um, 16 franchises of, you know, working with my aunt and uncle um, in the family business of all these, you know, Chinese restaurants in the Southwest and my parents purchasing one and running the restaurant. I thought, you know, how hard could it be? I can, I can form an LLC <laughs> and, you know, and just start a catering business because, you know, this is the best schedule for all the moms and, you know, wives and, you know, running their households and they can pick their gigs and choose whatever. I thought, we can go and do this. You know, it's been incredibly difficult. <laughs> the I can only that, imagine. Yeah. The past two years trying to be a, a, a mom and, you know, having a day gig and then uh, running Brave Break, Brave Borders as a side hustle has been super challenging, but it's also been incredibly rewarding at the same time. But it is this, this community collaboration. It's, you know, speaking to um, different people involved and, um, and really stepping up for the vulnerable population that normally don't get a chance to. The refugee women, they don't just drop off the food, they actually do storytelling at events, not just about their food and culture, but also about like who they were before they escaped war-torn countries. And then, you know, what it's like to live as refugees abroad and coming to America, what that feeling is like, almost like hitting the lottery and, you know, what it's been like um, cooking with break, break, break borders. Yeah. And having seen your work in action with uh, another organization, Make Art with a Purpose, and seeing collaborations with museums and galleries, I'm curious about how, when you think about your work and think about what you do, do you feel a connection with Break Bread, Break Borders, or do you see it as separate things, or does it even matter? Um, I feel like it's all interwoven and it's never about me, it's about we. And I think, you know, having been a, an abstract photographer for a long time where I just would work in my own studio, in my own darkroom, in my own silo for so long mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it was a, a, a great time to do that um, in the years that I needed to cultivate that, you know, um, perhaps my personal opinion about how I wanted to make art. Yeah. And, but at the end of the day, it got to a, a, a point where it was very much this road that it's no longer about what I think, it's about what we think as a collective, as a whole, and finding this world um, and getting it to a better place for my son and our future generation to grow up in. I couldn't do it by myself. And I knew that just watching how my mom had been doing these things that transformed lives, mm -hmm. um, not overnight, but, you know, through, through a series of um, marathon work, really, you know, it's all these things, you know, that she collectively with the communities and, you know, and there was 
lots to be learned from that. And, um, you know, with um, with Janiel with Make Art With Purpose, it was um, her Let's Talk series and she wanted to tell stories, you know, from the Asian community. And so we collaborated uh, with an Asian American illustrator who uh, drew a graphic novel, three of our um, refugee women. And so it was something that I wanted to be multi-generational. It was something that I wanted my son to be able to consume. Yeah. As an 11-year-old, he's like, you know, I, I want to read a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, we'll go and make one. And um, and that that was the thing, you know. And so even if you didn't speak English and, you know, if you spoke Farsi or, or any other languages, um, you could still read through the graphic novel and look at the pictures and understood, you know, what happened to the women and what their journeys were like and, you know, yeah. what today. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at some of your earlier exhibitions um, before this conversation and like going all the way back to um, your, your focus series from like 2001 and your early photography that is very autobiographical and you can see this uh, sort of the burgeoning idea of not me, but we, because it, even though it was autobiographical, you brought a lot of um, family uh, imagery in your work. I can make that thread from a then to now. The way you're talking about it um, suggests that it's a continuation versus a pivot. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, being an immigrant, I actually didn't grow up here. I, I, I was born in, in Taiwan and I didn't come to the States until I was 13. And so, you know, um, going from Taipei, Taiwan to Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> culture shock, you know, it, a culture it, shock. I'm still dumbfounded to this day that, you know, how the school I went to started uh, English as a second language program for me, how I didn't speak any English and I had barely known my alphabet. So much of my artwork, you know, even from that point on was about my immigrant experience, my diaspora experience and, mm -hmm. and speaking not just about my own experience because that journey was trekked through by so many other immigrants who went through those same challenges, you know, having trash flung at me, you know, because I was different and, you know, being bullied because um, I didn't speak the language. And, you know, so, so much of that trauma is repeated and, you know, it's so sad and <laughs> that, yeah. that, you know, that kind of history has to be repeated, you know, growing up with a caste system that, you know, my mom's... Uh, family are farmers and, you know, constantly my grandmother would tell me to stay inside so my skin doesn't get darker and that I wouldn't be able to marry a good family if I had darker skin, that I need to stay as white as possible. That meant that I came from a more educated and a higher caste system and, you mm. know, just needing to break out of that. My work was a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm thinking about the the design work that you've done as well, um, because uh, if <laughs> there's anything that's going to keep you indoors is sitting in front of a computer and making designs. But how have your experiences shaped your philosophy on design? I mean, we can see it in what you're doing as an artist and as a social practice artist. Um, but does your life experience influence the way you problem solve in design and problem solve in 
just your your current practice? I think that's the tendency I do have as I try to problem solve all the time and that I don't just jump into something complaining about it. There's always um, some kind of creative solution that's attached to that. And that's very typical of <laughs> my family, how I grew up, how I was raised. And yes, a lot of that was to be in advertising or design or, um, you know, cooking and, you know, running this um, social enterprise company. A lot of it was about that, but a lot of it was about not just following the rules, but also learning the rules and understanding it enough so we can break them. We joke because some of the ladies that cook with us had to actually ask for their husband's permission to come and cook with us. And, you know, once they found out, you know, that they were being paid and compensated that, you know, they were given permission to come and cook with us. And so we joke that they think we're just cooking, but we're honestly <laughs> a revolution, you know, because the women don't just, you know, drop off the food. As we said, they get to speak. And once they have that mic, they have the whole room's attention and they can speak about what challenges and issues they've gone through, whether it's any sort of racial injustice, gender pay gap, the eradication of xenophobia. There's so many things that they talk about just because they wear a hijab, that doesn't mean they're terrorists. That just because, you know, they're women cooking, that doesn't mean they're not contributing to their families. Just because they're moms and wives, that doesn't mean they're not investing in their communities and their children, their husbands, their, and, you know, and their neighbors. And those things really resonate with people because, you know, we've had tough conversations of people coming up and saying, why are you, you taking good Americans' jobs? Out of all places, why did you decide to come to the U.S.? There's a whole invasion of refugees, you know, why us? And, right. you know, and when they hear these personal stories, they understand people are coming from war-torn countries. They didn't have a choice. Food, because global warming is becoming scarce in certain areas that they're climate refugees, that they didn't have a choice. And that was um, unexpected. Yeah. I want to pivot for a moment to uh, some of your community projects beyond what beyond Break Bread, Break Border. I remember you did something in Oak Cliff. Yeah. Um, this was with the, the Innovation Lab. It was a, a EMC Arts a nonprofit that wanted to use art to heal the community. And so part of the challenge with um, South Oak Cliff was all the food insecurity issues. And so we wanted to address um, things like, you know, healthy diet and, and stuff like that. You know, sugar has a history. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Sugar, cotton, sure. tobacco, all exactly. those. Yes. Yeah. And it's a love and hate relationship, plants, yeah. right? Its history is is torn with, you know, um, racial tensions of plantations and um, the slaveries that, that came about with it, not, you know, only with sugar, but with cotton, with so many other things. And just to address, you know, how those things um, affect us and Dallas and then using different artists who have talked about these issues and um, for example Vic Munez and you know how um, he used sugar to um, draw you know portraits of children who grew up under um, those uh, conditions and how it prevented them from access to education to success and, and all those things and so we invited people to come and make any type of art with sugar with us something we can contribute as artists to invest in our communities. Yeah, and that investment pays off not only in creating opportunities, 
raising awareness and addressing inequalities, but with an artist that looks like the people that she is working with, I think you and other artists of color share that um, extra ability to connect and to mentor. So in that regard, I want you to tell me about um, a project that you've worked on before that kind of checks all those boxes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What can you think of? Well, I I guess everything that I've kind of done, yeah, yeah, is a little bit about that. Probably most recently, definitely with um, with Break 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 Borders. Yeah, I. I've always had a special place in my heart for artists who get outside of the the white cube and into the community and find a way to maybe not completely divorce from the white cube, but also to create bridges that um, open the doors between those two worlds mm-hmm. and your conversation with Michael Rakowitz comes to mind right now. How did that relationship develop? Oh, wow. Um, So, so many people that we've worked with in the community has been really through just word of mouth. And it's been interesting when we cook for people, most of them are thinking, venturing out and trying, you know, different foods from all these different places. And we joke that a lot of times, you know, when we were cooking for people, it was like a diversity inclusion training disguised in food, you know, and and, and, um, it was easier to trick people into, you know, breaking bread together and breaking down borders at the same time. And if it means as little as, you know, eating something and, um, you know, that we need as sustenance anyways, and making social impact at the same time, that was a good way to go. It was just, we were cooking for so many different people. And one thing led to another. I remember that, you know, it was uh, um, Rachel over at Sunset Studios that also is over at Nasher Culture Center Center, Uh as well. And um, I think they were just brainstorming about, you know, how things could be done. And Michael wanted to do things with a community that wasn't your typical um, interaction, you know. And, um, you know, he was like, I'd love to have like an international barbecue. Like, who knows how to do that? (laughs) (laughs) And literally people from like all sorts of different backgrounds jumped in and said, you know, we heard about this you know, catering company called Break, Break, Break Borders, they cater, you know, um, you should talk to Jinya and you you guys should scheme and cook up something together, you know, and, and that was it. Like, you know, we basically had a conversation and it literally was just us finishing each other's sentences, <laughs> talking about our kids and about, you know, what we wanted to tell them and, you know, how we were trying to express our love through food and, you know, and how we, use this as a love letter to our not only city but our country and to the world and we had um over 500 people showed up that on that february day so um i remember you know the curator came and and um, you know the museum director came and was like wow like they didn't think something like that you know could happen and it did so it was nice yeah. to see the backyard yeah, and when things like that happen, it's usually sort of what Rakowitz may have been talking about, um, where it's just museum patrons and art people coming to the museum for an event and not really 
engaging beyond that very small audience. But when you do things like um, Rakowitz Enemy Kitchen, where it's sort of a subtle, uh, disguised uh, <laughs> uh, intervention and uh, sort of foray into the community. And uh, when you do what you're doing, Break Bread, Break Borders, um, the art element is there but it is so diffused that people aren't people that aren't part of that social network feel very welcome and then start to see the bridges and start to make the connections mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, we're all better off for it yeah it was nice to have that common denominator because he had access to this uh the plates that were confiscated from Saddam Hussein's uh, palace and so he replicated those designs into paper plates and so he was serving you know some of the food <laughs> on those plates and you know we invited the international communities to come in and join us and so the Iraqi community the Syrian community like you know a lot of the immigrant and refugee communities mm -hmm. from Victory Meadow joined us and and you know and they felt at home because the food is from home. Yeah. Talking about food and that level of cultural exchange, the connection has always been around food. I, I recently started making some Liberian food for my wife, but I haven't gotten a lot of recipes from my mom. I've watched her cook all the time and uh, she won't teach me and I won't sort of like make the effort to force her to do it. But I mean, you know, we have YouTube and we have other uh, sources. And so like just making that food or shopping for ingredients at an African food store is just it's so many layers and levels of cultural exchange, not only for my family, but just for my friends or just talking about it. So I, I really enjoy how your practice has incorporated the just that simple element of the meal to share and exchange and build. Yeah, we, you know, we always joke like our moms never taught us like proper recipes. It's always, you know, a dash of this, a pinch of that, <laughs> and like just make it until it tastes right. And you're like, what? Yeah. You know, and <laughs> it's not an exact science, you know, and also cooking and baking are so different too. Oh, you so know? different, and, yeah. Right. And, and so like, you know, navigating around that has been always like muddy waters. I will never be as good a, good a, a chef as my mom was, but attempting those dishes have, has been really interesting. And also, you know, watching the cooks who are from Syria exchange recipes with the cooks from Afghanistan and, you know, like what, you know, what kind of interactions they have, even though they don't speaking enough English, you know, to communicate, but lots of pictures going back and forth and, you know, <laughs> yeah. explaining, oh, you need, you know, you need to do this, you know, and this dough needs to look like this, you know, right. how sticky it is and whatever to kind of like move forward. Like lots of the ladies talk about how um, when they came to America, they didn't understand what the fuss about gluten-free, dairy-free, <laughs> nut-free. And... <laughs> No, I, yeah, I no, definitely and, did not know, grow up with any of that. No, no. And, but, you know, but they learned that coming here and understanding it and, you know, still knowing all that and still um, getting to make their um, home dishes. There were people super scared of like sitting down to try something new, but then one bite into the rice took them all the way back to their grandmother's recipe from yeah. that dirty rice. And it was like, it just, it 
it's a beautiful connection. It is, and it's that common denominator that we love finding together in that moment that we understand that that is the truth. That is how we'll, it'll bring us to, to more peace and love and, you know, and, and, and this type of joy that we want to celebrate through our, our communities and throughout the world. And that's what we want to promote. One meal at a time. Whatever One meal at a time. <laughs> yeah. What a beautiful way to sort of conclude this conversation. Uh, what, what's next for you? What's, what's coming up? We actually got accepted into the Presidential Leadership Scholars Program earlier this year. And so um, using that um, platform, also, you know, trying to work with um, the 59 other scholars who were accepted to the program throughout the nation, working with um, presidential foundations from George H.W. Bush to George W. Bush, um, the LBJ, and also the Clinton Foundation, Um, you know, talking about, uh, to different people about, you know, is it policy change? Is it, you know, um, systemic issues? Like how do we tackle this to make long lasting social impact? But definitely not like staying in, in our lane at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's always kind of like, okay, you know, um, in here we're an artist and here we're a social um, entrepreneur and here we're, you know, um, making policy changes and, you know, um, and whatever it is, it's, it's, you know, being in a space where we feel like we're needed the most um, to, to make, um, to make social impact. Well, Jinya Juan, it has been a pleasure to catch up with you and to learn about uh, what's coming up for you and your practice in general. Um, It makes me really hungry now. So (laughs) next event you have, please put me on the invitation list. I want to come and eat food and talk art and uh, break more borders. Yes, sounds great. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share our stories. We really appreciate it.